all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Morning. We continue on in the book of uh, Philippians. Uh, this is down in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's true that some preach Christ out of an envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Lord, we just ask that you'd open this word to our hearts, our minds, and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So back in 2008, October of 2008, God's favorite football team fired their head coach and uh, replaced them in the middle of the season with Mike Singletary. And Mike Singletary, who had been a uh, you know, Hall of Fame linebacker, he took over the team, and his very first a game ever as a head coach, he shocked the NFL world by throwing his own star player, Vernon Davis, off the field in the middle of the game. Now, what had happened was uh, Vernon Davis, who was kind of known as a really passionate, kind of, kind of selfish, self-absorbed type player, had uh, got into a little spat with the other team and he thought he was, you know, personally offended. So he, you know, lashed out and struck someone on their team and it hurt the team. It, it, it caused a, a penalty that really hurt the team. And uh, Mike Singletary was frustrated about that. He, he went up to Vernon Davis middle of the game and he's like, hey, that was selfish. You know, you need to be all about the team. I think we have a picture we can show here. And he's like, it's about the team. You know, football's about the team, the team, the team, not about I and not about you and you standing up for yourself. It's about the team. Now, Vernon Davis did not respond well to this. He yelled back at the coach and he was like yelling at other players. He was just not happy, was not coachable. And Mike Singletary actually then uh, said, you know what, the best thing you could do with this attitude is go take a shower, go watch from the stands because you're, you're out of here. Like, we can't have anything like this. And this was like one of their best players. Now, after the game, uh, the coach was asked about this, hey, your very first time ever as a coach, you threw out your own star player out of the game. What was that about? I got a little video clip to show you. 
Vernon, Vernon just, uh, it was something that I told everybody at the very beginning of the week. I will not tolerate um, players that think it's about them when it's about the team. No. You know what? I, I, th this is how I believe, okay? I'm from the old school. I believe this. I would rather play with 10 people and just get penalized all the way until we got to do something else, rather than play with 11 when I know that right now that person is not sold out to be a part of this team. It is more about them than it is about the team. I cannot play with them, cannot win with them, cannot coach with them, can't do it. I want winners. I want people that want to win. Nothing like showing football clips on Mother's Day, right? <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to, to all of you, though, by the way. So here's this interesting uh, dynamic, this conflict between these two per per people during this game and uh, throws them out. Like, why did he do that? And he's like, it's all about the team. I'd rather play with 10 people that are committed to being there than 11 and someone who's not, you know, totally committed. Now, this actually is the moment in time that the player who got thrown out, Vernon Davis, points to as the turning point of his life. So he actually, it shocked him so much, this kind of tough love sort of thing, it shocked him so much that it, it brought him back uh, down to earth and he actually became quite a team player. He played in the league for another 10 years and changed his attitude so dramatically that the team elected him as team captain. And he became the guy for the next 10 years to give the speech to the team that it's all about the team. He became the team player spokesman, right? After this moment, and it's turned around his, his career and his life. It was a total attitude shift. He had been all about himself and he had a conversion moment to being all about the team. Now, okay, how does this apply to what we are studying in Philippians? So we are in a study of a book that someone named the Apostle Paul, someone who had been an opponent of Christ, who had persecuted Christ, well, he had a vision in which he saw Jesus and he gave his life uh, to Jesus and to his service. And uh, he was sent out uh, to go and, and let other people know. And he's, he's largely the reason why the, the church, uh, you know, came to Europe and moved west. And, um, and, but, he wrote, but he went to jail a number of times. He was beaten up. He was left for dead. He was shipwrecked. Uh, he was abandoned at times. I mean, all these horrible things happened to him along his journeys. And yet he writes the book of Philippians from a jail cell in Rome, and he's happy and he's joyful, and we're trying to figure out why and how. Now, as we're studying this theme of resilient joy, I don't want to disparage any of the other important emotions. It's okay to be sad and angry uh, at times. Those are also important, and sometimes the path of joy is to like walk you know, fully into those. But we're trying to understand what is it, this unique uh, ability that Paul had, this gift from God to be joyful. And specifically today, we're looking at this team first attitude that he has. We're gonna see in the verses today that he is a team first person. He's about team Jesus. And that's one of his secrets of how he can remain resiliently joyful when hard times is because his emotional investment is in the victory of the team, not necessarily his own personal comfort. 
So he has these experiences in which something is bad for him, but it's actually good for Team Jesus. It's good for the advance of the gospel. And so he rests his emotional state, not just in his own personal comforts of the day, but how well is Team Jesus doing out there in the world? And that's why he's able to say in verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's like, actually, hey, you guys, don't worry about me. Yeah, I got beaten up. Yeah, I'm in jail. Yeah, I'm on trial for my life. But guess what? Things are going well for the advance of the gospel. Okay, so here's what I want to do. To try to understand this passage, I want to uh, rewind a little bit in time and introduce you to uh, the chapter called Acts chapter 16, uh, in which that's the story of the missionary journeys as, as people like Peter and Paul are traveling uh, out, spreading the gospel of Jesus. And it, it tells the story of how that gospel spread. And in Acts chapter 16, that's when Paul first visits the city of Philippi, and that's the people that he wrote this letter to. And so we're going to rewind the clock a, uh, a few years uh, and go back to Acts chapter 16. Okay. Now, uh, as we do this, I want to call up a map to just kind of show you what's going on. So, okay. So if we look here at this map, here is Jerusalem down here. That is, uh, you know, what's the modern uh, nation of Israel. And that's where uh, the ministry of Jesus had happened. And then the Christians had faced persecution there and then kind of, you know, fled a lot of them, went to the north. And Paul, when he became a Christian, uh, he set out on missionary journeys. And his first uh, couple of uh, trips were just kind of, you know, in this area. And on this second journey, which is kind of a multi-year uh, journey, he's actually traveling around. This is a modern-day Turkey. We call it Asia Minor. And he's traveling around uh, this area, planning to stay. He's actually planning to bend back and go this way. But uh, one night, uh, he has this vision from God of somebody over here in Macedonia. This is like Greece, Macedonia here. And it has this vision of this man saying, would you come and help us? And he takes it as a sign from the Lord. And then he and his companions, he's there with Silas, with Timothy, who's also helping him write this Philippians letter. But he, uh, they, they cross over, and uh, it mentions an island that they stop on, and then it says they go to ne Neapolis, which is just the port. It's like the port village of the major city of Philippi. So they're going to land here, and then they walk up to the major city, which is a, a, a Roman colony, and uh, I'm going to read to you what happened in that city. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to make a lot more sense of what we're reading in the letter to that city. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is right when they arrived. This is his first arrival in Europe. Okay, uh, verse, this is 16, verse 11. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. That's the island. Next day, we went to Neapolis. That's the port village. And from there, we traveled to Philippi, the major city. It's a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. Oftentimes, um, if there wasn't a synagogue in a city, uh, Jewish people might gather by a river or some other uh, sacred place to pray. It could also be people who are not Jewish that, that you know, have some religious 
uh, affection and are looking for a place to pray. And so they look for a river, expecting people to be praying there. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman uh, from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. So this woman is a, a merchant. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Okay, so that's the, the very first person in Europe that we have recorded becoming a Christian. And it is a woman who is a merchant and a business leader there. And uh, she already had a faith in God in general. Uh, but this is now coming to understand uh, Jesus Christ as Lord. She leads her entire household to Christ and they get baptized. That's the very first family, the very first baptism in Europe. Okay, let's go on to verse 16. Uh, this is a moment where Paul does a miracle and then he gets slandered for it and you're gonna see him get treated really badly. And remember, this is right when he arrives in the city of Philippi. Okay, once when we we're going to the place of prayer, so they started going back to the river. They said, hey, that worked out well. The first time, let me keep doing that. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. So some kind of... Uh, a demon, evil spirit is in her and she has this ability to somehow predict the future from it. And she earned a great deal of money uh, from her owners or for her owners uh, by fortune telling. So there's owners of the slave that are using her, abusing her, uh, her skill in order to make money. And she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high who are telling you the way to be saved. And she's probably saying it in a funny voice and she's saying it repetitively and kind of saying it like mockery. So she kept this up for many days. So everywhere they go, she's, she's following them around and she's saying this, she's saying this, she's saying this, she's saying this, everywhere they go. And it says, finally, Paul became so annoyed. Isn't that great? Right? This joyful guy that we're like, wow, how is he so joyful? Well, he gets pretty fed up sometimes. And, it, and it's, it's, this is hilarious because it doesn't say he was so compassionate for her. No, he's like, he gets so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. But when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, this is gonna hurt their pocketbook, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped. They ripped off their clothes and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, we found out later that they were bleeding hours later, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, in Roman uh, society, a jailer was charged to hold on to a prisoner on pain of his own life. So if a prisoner escapes, they kill the jailer. 
that was a way to motivate the jailer to be very, very careful. So the jailer is so concerned because they, they were so serious about, you got to watch these guys carefully. He's so concerned that he puts them down in the inner, the most safest uh, cell that he has. He puts uh, chains on them. He puts stocks on their feet, like everything he can do to keep them secure. And again, they're, they're, they're bleeding from having gotten beaten with these rods. But verse 25, after midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Did you catch that? Like, they just got beaten up. They just got arrested. And what are they doing? They're in jail, in the stocks, in the inner cell, bleeding. And they're singing worship songs to God and praying. And all the other prisoners in there are listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So there's this miracle, everything's shaken, the doors open, the chains fall off. So they could just walk away if they wanted. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped, right? He's gonna kill himself because he's expecting to get punished and killed when it's discovered that his prisoners escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, don't harm yourself. We're all here, right? The prisoners who could have walked away to their own safety were so concerned about the safety of the person who had chained them that they said, hey, we're not leaving. It's okay, we'll stay here to keep you safe. The jailer called for lights. He rushed in and he's he's so shocked by this. He fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke to the the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. So then he finally washes them of their blood and treats their wounds. And then they do the baptism emblematic of the washing of his sins. There's this mutual washing that happens. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Think how uh, this informs the scripture that we're studying in Philippians, which happens uh, sometime later when Paul's in prison again in a Roman prison, and he's writing a letter to his friends who came to Christ in Philippi, and he's saying, hey, don't worry about me. Yes, I'm in jail. Yes, I'm in chains. I'm on trial. But don't worry. Uh, it's, it's all working out for the good. The gospel is advancing. Now, that's probably surprising to us, and it's probably be surprising to a lot of cities, but the one city in which it would not be surprising is Philippi. That's how they came to know him. That's how the people, right? Like the, se- the whole second household that came to Christ, how did they meet him? Well, they were the jailer's family. And they were like, these were the guys that were singing and praising God when we locked them up. 
These were the guys who were singing to the prisoners. And these were the guys that didn't walk away out of the prison when they could do so, but instead ministered and cared for us and introduced us to the joy that we can be forgiven of our sins in Jesus. These are the guys who sing in jails. So it makes all the sense in the world to get this letter. Yeah, that's Paul again. He's in jail. He's singing again. So let's turn back to Philippians. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Okay, so he's now in prison. We think this is the imprisonment in Rome. Probably he was in prison multiple times in Rome. We think this is the house arrest when he stayed about two years uh, confined to, to that house. And um, he talks about the palace guard knowing that he's in chains. Now, at that point, we don't think he's imprisoned in the palace. So what is this palace guard? The word there is the praetorian, meaning the praetorian guard. Now, in the Roman uh, uh, organization of their army, there were legions that were to go out to foreign places. They were, the legions were never allowed to come into the city of Rome. There'd be like a legion out in Spain, a legion in this area. Those legions were never allowed to come into the city of Rome. The security of Rome was charged to the Praetorian Guard. They were in charge of defending the emperor and defending the peace and security in the city of Rome. And they were the, the best of the best soldiers. They were, they were the, the elite soldiers that were charged Uh, the most trustworthy, the most loyal, the most trained, the best equipped, and they were the ones charged with defending the emperor and maintaining the the peace in Rome. And so what we find here is that Paul is being guarded by the Praetorian Guard um, as like a political prisoner. This guy, maybe this guy would would threaten the the peace of the city, and so we're gonna gonna charge the actual Praetorian Guard. There's about 10,000 of them total, and uh, some of them are assigned, you're going to be in charge of Paul. And the, the, the word there for chains, this, this Greek word uh, usually refers to like shackles. And the tradition was actually, in this case, that to shackle him, probably along his, uh, his ankle, to a praetorian guard. And the thought being, this guy is not going to be able to cause much trouble for us Uh, He's not going to be able to foment rebellion. He's not going to be able to, you know, uh, say seditious things. If at all times he's shackled to this elite fighting person loyal to the emperor, a praetorian guard. And so they would go on four-hour shifts. Every four hours they would would change out one of these praetorian guards to be shackled uh, there. But for Paul, his thinking is kind of in reverse. He's not thinking... I'm shackled to a Praetorian guard. I better watch my mouth. He's thinking, I've got a Praetorian guard shackled to me. This is literally a captive audience. This guy is not allowed or able to walk away. I can preach to him for four hours. And he's saying, because of my chains, because of my shackles, the Praetorian guard has come to know that I'm in chains for Christ. You know how he knows? Because I've been telling him for four hours. 
Then I just switched to the next one and I got nothing else to do and he's got nowhere else to be. So the Praetorian Guard, the elite fighting force defend, that's most loyal to the emperor, they begin hearing about Jesus and they begin uh, sharing it with their buddies. Can, can, can you believe that this, this dude talked to me for four hours and guess what he said? So the word begins to spread and Paul is rejoicing. That Paul is able to uh, conceive of something. This is not something that all of us, I think, can do. But Paul's able to conceive of something being bad for him, but good for something else, and to rejoice in that. It's, be, you know, it's kind of rough on me at the moment, but it's good for the gospel. It's good for Christ. And for that reason, I rejoice. Okay. So he says... Um, uh, in verse 14, here's another reason why he rejoices. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Let me read that again. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So another result, there's this emboldened church. A lot of people in the church are afraid as, as, as persecution is just starting to ramp up in the Roman Empire. People are afraid as it becomes more dangerous for them to share the gospel in their workplace. Or them more dangerous for them to share the gospel even with their friends and family as things like this are a hostile world to sharing your faith. Can we relate to that at all? He's like, you know what? Something wonderful has happened. Because of my change, because of my example, they've seen me go through hardship and yet keep sharing the faith. The church is getting braver because of this example. I one time had uh, the great fortune of getting to go to this um, uh, kind of adventure camp uh, with my daughter and a bunch of her friends called Rock and Water. And uh, we were part of this, uh, this youth group down in Southern California, and they were looking for chaperones. And myself, another dad, said, hey, whitewater rafting? This sounds amazing. And we signed up uh, for it to, to take this group of youth up to this uh, adventure camp. And I was just in it. I wanted, you know, wanted to hang out with my daughter and, and you know, be part of this thing. And, and uh, the whitewater rafting day, that, that was great. But then it turns out there's some other days, right? And uh, there's this day uh, of rock climbing. And I thought, well, I could probably handle rock climbing. But what nobody told me is to get to the place where you have to rock climb, you have to crawl through this dark cave, like pitch black cave in which you have to like contort your body and, and kind of fit in this like really confined space to go through. At one point you have to like, put your back against the wall and your feet and you have to do all this contortions through like a black cavern to get to where we're going to rock climb. Now, this is my greatest fear, being confined in a claustrophobic space where I, 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 like, I cannot see. It, it, was, it was awful, right? Now, here's the thing. If I had been there by myself... I absolutely never, you could not get me to go into that cave, okay? If I had been a chaperone uh, on a trip in which my daughter is not present, I would not go in the cave. But here's the thing, Hannah has no fear 
She's being super brave. She's like, okay, and she just like slides right in. So when you're a dad and your daughter's in the cave, what do you have to do? You gotta suck it up and you gotta go in the cave. Now I cheated a little bit and used my phone light, okay? Like uh, we, weren't, we weren't allowed to do, but I, I don't care. Um, but, but here's the thing, because my daughter was being brave, I forced myself to be brave. And I, and I went through that. I wasn't happy, <laughs> but, I, but I, went, I went through it. And on the way back, I found a way back, back around. I didn't have to go back through the cave. Have you ever had an experience where somebody else was brave and you were able to draw courage from them? Something you didn't think that you could do, but you saw, well, because they did it, I guess I could try. Have you had an experience like that? Well, that's what's happening in the church. People are scared. People are like, this is pretty scary to be a Christian in this environment. It's pretty scary to, um, uh, to, to, to tell anybody about my faith. It's pretty scary to offer to pray for somebody uh, because what, what if uh, you know, some bad repercussion happens to me? But because they see Paul do it, even willing to go to jail for it, people start taking more chances and they start being braver. He's like, this is fantastic. If the outcome of this is a braver church, I'm all for being in jail. So then he also sees that there's some kind of church conflict brewing. There's some people that don't like him and they're kind of messing with him and they're they're preaching the gospel for these mixed motives of just trying to stir up trouble for him. And he says this, It is true that some preach Christ out of, this is verse 15, out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Eh, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He's like, yeah, there's some people that are doing this wrong. They're doing it, trying to mess with me. But you know what? Christ is preached, and I'm going to rejoice in that. You see how all these things that are, that are hard, that are bad, that he could be frustrated on, he's just going to find the way in which Christ has advanced through it and rejoice. The important thing that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. This is a moment where he's faced with a choice. There's a lot of ways in which his own reputation is getting damaged. And he's, he's faced with a choice. Is he gonna fixate on the defense of his own reputation or is he gonna focus on the advance of team Jesus, the good of the church, the benefit of Christ, the advance of the gospel? And he's able to realize that sometimes bad news for Paul does not equal bad news for the world or bad news for Christ or bad news for the church. Sometimes his own suffering can result in the good of all of those things. I think we've all probably experienced frustration when we experience a leader in some capacity who cannot differentiate between the two. Have you ever worked uh, under maybe a boss who cannot differentiate the good of the company from the good of the CEO? Uh, The good of uh, the employees versus the good of the leader? 
Uh, we, we get frustrated when that, when people confuse their, their own personal gain with the good of the whole. But Paul's very clear about this. And he rests his emotional state not on his own reputation, not on his own good, but it's about the team. It's about the team. It's about team Jesus. And then he says this. He, 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 he points out that sometimes uh, things that seem bad to us can be unexpected, unexpected blessings, even actually for us. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He doesn't know how it's gonna end and he even says, hey, I don't know if I'm gonna live or die. But I'm just gonna trust. I've, I've had enough experience with this God of surprises. I've had enough experience with it that, that here's what I think. This crazy experience that I'm happening, I, I don't know how it's gonna shake out, but I'm just gonna trust. I think maybe there's some surprise in this even for me. That these, this hardship I'm going through, that God's gonna work and bring out this surprisingly good end and it'll turn out for my deliverance. Now, I'm not at all saying that every bad thing is actually a good thing. I don't believe that. I don't believe that every bad thing is caused by God. And it, it, there's a lot, just some bad things caused by Satan in this world. But I do believe that in everything, God works for the good of those who love him. And so wherever there is suffering in your life, God is actually at work there and will bring some good thing out of it, even if you wouldn't ever want to choose that hard thing. In my, my own life experience and those people close to me, uh, some of the greatest suffering that we have experienced is the door by which we give empathy to other people. Uh, our own suffering is what teaches us compassion and love for other people who suffer. Uh, and and, and at, at the very minimum, it gives us an ability to relate to them and to love them and to bless them and to sit with them in their pain. And so Paul is saying, hey, uh, this is hard for me. I got beaten up. I'm back in jail again. Things are hard. I don't know if I'm going to live or die. But team Jesus moves on. And I'm all about the team. And I'm going to rejoice because you know what? The team is getting braver and they're getting bolder and they're coming to faith. And even these Praetorian guards are accepting Christ. This is amazing. Um, and you know what? I'm just going to trust. God has surprised me before by bringing good out of hardship, I'm just gonna say, you know what? I think in some surprising way, he's gonna deliver me again. Amen? Lord God, we just thank you for your word. And we just pray that you would hold everyone right now who is in some kind of pain, who's in some kind of suffering. We just pray that you would in fact surprise us by turning this out for our deliverance. God, we just pray that you would reveal to us these surprising blessings. And God, we just pray that we could also be a church that's all about the team, all about each other's good, uh, good fortune and not just our own. And God, may we rest our joy in that. We just ask your special blessing on, on, on the moms here. And we thank you for the moms that you've given us in life. And uh, we just ask your blessing on all the ladies in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you for being here, for uh, worshiping with us. If any of you would like prayer, we have a group of people uh, right over here that are just here, and they would love to pray with you. They can hold that confidentially and uh, just love on you and bless you.
we have a, a, a prize, a present for all the ladies in the room. If you are a lady, uh, we want to celebrate you today. And just over there in the social hall, um, uh, you're invited. We have a, a little gift for you. And uh, I did have uh, one husband say, hey, my wife's not here. Can I grab one for her? Guys, if you forgot to get a Mother's Day present, by all means, okay, <laughs> by all means, go get that and be like, hey, I, I, I got this for you, okay? You don't even need to tell them where you got it, uh, but remove anything if it says from the church, okay? Um, hey, thank you. Some of you have been praying for my voice. You know, I've been having uh, some trouble the last couple of uh, weeks. Remember when I was all squeaky a couple weeks ago? Anyway, it's getting a lot better and grateful for your prayers. Um, but I am going to have a few weeks to be able to uh, rest. We have an ex exciting lineup of people preaching next week. Uh, Troy Patterson, our uh, youth director, is going to be preaching his first sermon. That's going to be awesome. So uh, don't miss that. Uh, the youth are applauding. Okay. We're going to hear from DJ a couple of times. We're going to hear from Todd Misfelt. And remember my friend Schumit who came and preached? He's coming back. Uh, so we're going to have just a great lineup uh, as we continue to do this uh, Philippian study the next few weeks. So I hope you'll join us for, uh, for all of that. Uh, let me just uh, send you out with a, a blessing, a benediction. May you know the love of God and the grace of Christ that comes to you. And just like Lydia and just like the Philippian jailer were overcome with joy at the good news, may your heart be overcome with joy. Just like Paul could sing from the jail cell, may you be able to sing from whatever hardship that you face. May you, may you have that joy of Jesus in you. May you grow braver as you see the example of those who have gone before you. And may you love each other well. God bless you.